I want to say a few words to you, and, uh, and I'm so grateful uh, for our ushers and for everything. Uh, I was, uh, yesterday, I was down in uh, Langley, and, um, and it was uh, at the uh, Mennonite Brethren Ministers Conference, our conference there. Then I, uh, yesterday, I drove back to preach Saturday night, and this morning, I didn't want to miss these verses, Okay. And then we're going to, Michelle and I are going to jump in the car and drive back to Whistler for the pastor and spouses conference. So we've got our, uh, we've got all of our pastors going, lead team and so on. So we're at Whistler um, to, um, tonight, God willing. Uh, and then, but I, I was asked to speak to our assembly of pastors and I was asked to, to lead the st- uh, part of the study conference. And the theme that they gave me was how to foster a church of prayer. And so I thought this was, a bit ch- this was quite interesting and challenging. I thought, if you're new to Willow Park Church, I'd like to tell you just the Coles notes. I won't preach it, that's the danger. So let me try and keep it to three minutes of what I preached for three hours. Um, no, it wasn't quite that long. Uh, but what I preached uh, for 30 minutes, um, two hour gathered uh, pastors, and it, there's a beautiful response. I talked about the why we foster prayer as a church. We, we foster prayer, why? Because at the end of the day, we need Jesus. We foster prayer because it teaches us to be a trusting community. We foster prayer because it teaches us to have a loving relationship with Christ. We foster prayer because it enables us to fight the battle that we have to fight within this world. We foster prayer because it brings the presence of God into a church community. We foster prayer because it says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And we foster prayer because it releases the ministry of the church through the work of prayer in lives. But the one thing I want to remind you is that the devil does not like a praying church. And if you want to build a church of prayer, at the core of the church, you have to make that the priority. That we have prayer at the core of our families, at the core of our devotional life, at the core of our church. But this is a long-term project to take a church to becoming a praying church. It's step by step, bit by bit. It takes time and longevity. A pastor cannot delegate prayer. The pastor has to be the lead prayer leader. The pastor must have a reputation of being a man or a woman of prayer. It's critical. And when you foster prayer, it brings unity. Otherwise, prayer ends up being in a corner with the prayer types, who are kind of that type of people that do the praying. But it shouldn't be a prayer type because the only prayer type that exists in Scripture is a believer in Christ. A pastor should coach his team to be prayerful. A pastor should be lead his team and his staff in prayer and model that in prayer and, and in God's grace and strength. You see, there are three kinds of churches. There are churches with no prayer. They exist. There are prayer churches with prayer, and there are churches of prayer. Which church 
do we want to be? Do you want to be no prayer, with prayer, or do you want to be a church of prayer? It is modelled by the pastor and by the wife. It is modelled in a dynamic relationship that each campus pastor should have with the Lord. And I do put pressure on my campus pastors and say, are you spending an hour a day with the Lord every day? It is modelled at the board level that we need a praying board, a believing board. And one of the highlights of our recent history was the eight hours that the Willow Park Board elders spent in prayer, praying for Willow Park Church. Unprecedented and remarkable. You see, it only achieves it through repetition. For you keep laboring it. Keep talking about it. And I know for some of you, it's like Groundhog Day. Uh, but Willow, Willow One's coming. Are you coming to the prayer meeting? Are you coming to the prayer meeting? That's because it takes time for people to catch on. And you know, it then changes the DNA of a church. Do we want our DNA changed? Do we want that to take place and to happen? So that's what I shared at length with the pastors of the conference. And I want you to know the kind of church I believe and the board we want to build. It's that kind of church. So can I encourage you to be a church that prays and to be families that pray and work. That's it. Quiet now, Phil. That was a little spot. Thank you very much. That's it. Okay. But let's pray. Lord, we know that you taught us, Lord, how to pray. And I pray that in our lives, we all may know just the heart of prayer in our lives. I pray that families and individuals will go deeper with you. And that, Lord, you will work and minister, I ask. Lord, it's a beautiful thing to come close to you. And we don't want to be a no prayer church or a a church with a bit of prayer. We want to be a church of prayer. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember on one occasion I was preaching in Saskatchewan. And uh, I want to thank a member of our congregation who has given me a book um, called Saskatchewan and Trivia. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to reading this. I welcome any deep theological books on my bookshelf. But I was preaching and um, I arrived at this camp and this camp was a little bit like, like, the, like the scene of MASH. And as I arrived at this camp, the, uh, earlier that week, an evangelist had called me up and said, Are you going to that camp to preach? I said, yes. I was a guest, 23 years old, 24 years old. He said, that's a terrible camp. The kids are there are from it. 
They're from hell. They're terrible. You're in for a bad time. I said, thank you for your encouragement, brother. It's a terrible camp, he said. Oh, that guy's now a bishop. And I said, amazing. I said, wow. I said, he said, yes, I advise you to arrive there and I advise you to preach repentance, 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 repentance. Get them to repent. They're up to no good. So I arrived there on the evening and I preached the first sermon. And I, I went in hard. I took his advice. But then I thought, I saw that there was something going on. So I cracked a few jokes. I told some stories. I unpacked some scriptures. I gave an appeal to get right with God. The whole of the camp came forward on their knees. I thought, oh yeah. Well done, Phil. I am pretty good. Bit of inductive communication. A bit of humor in the right spot. A bit of... You know, drawing them in. Bang! The gospel. Look at this. What does he know? That other evangelist. I preached the next night on the power of the Spirit. It was a Pentecostal camp, so say no more. And then I preached the next night on freedom. I was, it, was, it was like revival. By the fourth night, people from farms all around were driving in on their tractors. It was like a John Deere convention and, and they'd gathered together and people were coming. The local um, Hutterite community were coming along. It was awesome. I thought, oh, so, uh, so amazing. Bit of love, bit of grace. I thought it was good. I, I said to the camp director, I said... Uh, should we have lunch and talk about how wonderful this is? What God's doing? He said, oh, sorry, I can't. I said, why not? He said, did you hear rumors that this camp was the worst camp that has ever been? I said, um, yeah. He said, did somebody phone you up and tell you how dreadful this camp was? <laughs> yeah. He said, uh, yeah. He said, I took over as camp director... And he said, I can't eat lunch with you because 10 days ago I started a water-only fast. And I, ha- I will not break that fast until the end of this camp. Because the reputation is so dreadful. The kids are so known as ter- so terrible. But it's only the power of prayer that can change this situation. And I went, oh, yeah, yeah. And I thought to myself, you are an idiot, Phil. Because it's the prevailing prayer of the righteous that make the difference. So he, he was in his cabin praying. He missed every lunch with the kids. He did all of this. At the end of the season, the board called him in and said, we understand you didn't eat any meals with the kids. He said, yes, I was praying. They said, I'm sorry. We're going to let you go and fire you. That's not the kind of director we want. We don't want that kind of director. And they fired him. 
This is what Romans 8 is talking about. Are you of the flesh or of the spirit? If you don't want a praying leader, then what do you want? Are you of the flesh or are you of the spirit? For those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according to with the spirit have their minds on what the spirit desires. The very essence of Christianity, the very essence of mature Christianity is that we move from the flesh. And of course, I explained last week that the word flesh has been a problem to Bible translators. Because flesh isn't really flesh. It's not talking about the flesh, as in your flesh and my flesh. However much or little you may have, it's not talking about your flesh. It is talking about the wild horse within our character. It's talking about the inner workings of your desires and of who you are. It's talking about that inner propensity to become a Pharisee or to become a playboy because you can have a religious flesh as much as you can have a playboy flesh. But it is that hidden desire and need within you and I That is the flesh that drives us away from the Lord Jesus Christ. So the flesh is the battle that we are in. And as the great reformers would write, and where is our leaning towards? Where is our weight weighted? Which way are we going in our heart? See, I remember um, being at school and having cookery classes. And, and it, was, it, it was so out of date, everything we had. We had scales, but we had proper scales to weigh things on. Do you remember that? It was awesome fun. And, and so you would, you would put the weights on. I mean, I don't have that kind of scale now when I'm measuring my protein out, little gram. I use a, a digital one that I pop on and it tells me everything and it, it cooks it as well at the same time. It's amazing. But the idea within your heart that you are weighted in the scale of the man or the woman of God that you want to be, that you are weighted towards the things of the spirit, not the things of the flesh. This is what it's really starting to describe. That those that live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according with the Spirit have their minds on what the Spirit desires. So what are you desiring within your life? Which way are you going? You see, humanity, we're all, humanity is all imprisoned. Imprisoned in our cell. This cell may be nice. It may have furniture. It may have facilities. It may be a cell. But when you become a Christian, suddenly God blows the doors of that cell off. And the light of Christ descends. And you are a free person in Christ Jesus. As we said, for there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. We are free. But but what Paul is actually trying to teach us is this. Is that our 
The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is the life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So the question is, which way is your mind heading? Is your mind heading up in the way that you are thinking? Is your mind um, setting on things above? Is your mind being the way of the spirit? Or is your mind the way of the flesh? See, according to Paul in this scripture, there are only two kinds of way to live your life. According to the flesh or according to the work of the spirit within your life. And we have to make a decision about what kind of person we want to be. What kind of person and how we want to live. Do you want to live according to the Spirit of God working and consuming your life? Or do you want to live according to the flesh, the deep desires, the wildness, the inner insecurities, the anger, the bitterness, the jealousy, the insecurity, the pain of man's fallenness? Or do we want to live? Lean towards the mind of the Spirit, which is joy and peace and hope. Which way do you want to go? You see, we love to put people into categories, don't we? <laughs> uh, uh, we can, there are tests you can do. Myers-Briggs tests. Have you come across those? What character are you? I'm a... An extrovert. You go, oh, that's amazing, Phil. I never would have guessed that. (laughs) I'm intuitive. I love to be intuitive. Oh, yeah, okay. Hey, my strength finder, I'm a woo. Woo. Do you know what that means? It means, thank you for those that just did that little woo in the back of response. It means that I love to meet new people. So if you're new to Willow Park, come and see me. Come on. Not straight after this, though, because I'm going to get in the car. But generally, I love meeting people. I love connecting with people. I love that every taxi driver becomes my best friend. I, I was thinking about this, that when we used to have video stores, do you remember this? Blockbusters, back when Noah was about. And... The last blockbuster just closed in Alaska recently. It was terrible. I wept all day. Um, I got to know the blockbuster manager so well of every Friday night when I would purchase a film. And I talked to him for so long that when he got married, he invited me to the wedding. (laughs) That's a woo. And I said to him, I can't be your best man. (laughs) <laughs> he said, oh, you're one of my best friends. I said, really? Oh, that's great. That's a woo. That's a character. You may be Republican or you may be Democrat. You may be conservative. You may be Labour, NDP or Liberal. You may know that Zuckerberg, who, in, who you don't know who he is, created Facebook 
has the ability to work out on algorithms whether you're depressed, whether you're happy, or whether you're going through a crisis. They have ability through Cambridge Analytica, which is a made-up name, to look at your Facebook status and decide from 5,000 different points to decide what kind of person you are, which way you're going to vote, and what you're going to do, and how many hideous pictures of kittens you have put on your Facebook profile. But the Apostle Paul says this. There's only two kind of people. You're either of the flesh or of the spirit. That's it. For a Christian who is mature, for a Christian who is growing, there is only the one that desires the things of above and the things of the spirit, or there is the way of the flesh. This isn't to do with salvation, of course, but this is to do with our spiritual growth, and we can easily become fleshly Christians that are ruled by the desires of the flesh and by ruled by the flesh and ruled by the wild stallion of sinfulness that rises up within our hearts. It is that, that it's what... Augustus called when he, when he, the great theologian in North Africa, that when he went and stole the pears, if you know the famous story from his, the Augustan Confessions, he said, I did not steal the pears because I needed pears. I stole the pears because I wanted to see what it felt like. It is that battle within us that drives us that we, we want to make a choice. We know what that battle is happening within our lives. And the way of the flesh has payback. The way of the flesh has treasures. The way of the spirit has payback. The way of the spirit has treasures to come. And the question we need to ask ourselves from this text is what kind of person am I in my Christian life? And am I striving to be a man of the spirit or of the flesh? Is my mind set on what the spirit desires or is my mind set on what my inner man desires within me? And I can tell you without uh, any apology, that you can be revolutionized by the power of the Holy Spirit, changing your inner man, and you can become that man that God has created you to be. You can lose the darkness. You can lose the anger. You can lose the jealousy. You can find peace and hope because the way of the Spirit and living in the Spirit is not a myth. It is a reality, a sure thing. Fact as Christ rose from the grave on the third day. But you've got to decide. I've got to decide. What is my desire? I am what I desire. I am not what I am, what I think. And I am what I love. But I am what I desire. What do you desire in this journey? What is governing you? See, religious thinking can be of the flesh. 
Pharisee or playboy. Religious thinking is that they love the prominence and they love their position. They love the way that people view them. I was in my devotions this morning, working my way through, through Mark, and I was thinking about how they lord it over and the robes that they wear. It's about the power of money, because there is money in religion. There is money in this approach, and, and Jesus said there is that money. There is the perks of religion. To be seen, to be honoured, to be known. The outward appearance, but Jesus teaches in Mark chapter 7 that it's not what is outside a man, it's what's inside a man. And when we start to lean towards the things of the Spirit, We start to say, I want to think. I want to desire what Jesus' desire. I want to live the way that Jesus wants me to live. I want to grow in the way that Jesus wants me to grow. It changes everything. See that alarm's going off? I'm still going to preach for another 10 minutes. <laughs> Whoever set the alarm, it's not going to happen. I'm on a roll here. <laughs> We've got to turn your alarms off. That's the way of the flesh. <laughs> oh, our family. Love it. Two greatest gifts a church pastor can give is a good marriage and a good prayer life. But we would like to watch TV. Yes, we do watch TV. We don't sit around with our tambourines all the time. (laughs) One of our favorite activities watching TV is to watch The Voice. I love The Voice. Thank you, Brian. I love The Voice. I love that moment when somebody walks out and they're all there, you know, Tom Jones. Uh-huh. Will I am? <laughs> Miley Cyrus, whatever. <laughs> and the other kind of cool looking boy. And and then they walk out and then they start to sing. And they're looking at each other and, and Will I Am's going. And, and, and the Welshman, Tom Jones, going. And, and Alicia Keys, I think she was in it, is going. If there's a bit of gospel there, she's like, boom. I don't. But they hear a voice and there's sometimes... They hear a voice, and at that moment, all four chairs turn. I love that moment. I'm going to tell you, when you pray a certain voice, boom, in heaven, the very Trinity turns to look at you. The very Trinity turns When you 
approach God with this voice. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Boom, 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 boom. This is the voice that God loves. Psalm 63, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Boom. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. This is the mind of the Spirit. That what we desire is God. You see, it's about dumping your rubbish and focusing on Christ. It's about what Philippians talks about is what is more I consider everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Is everything loss in your life except the one thing you want to do is know Christ in your life. Now that's a maturity. That our primary desire is to know Christ. To turn heaven's head to see the three chairs of the Trinity spin round because there is somebody who is willing to know Christ. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Do you know the truth is? Probably to know Christ in the way that we should know Christ, some of us, and this is my experience, I have had to lose a lot of things to gain Christ. But I am glad for losing those things. What do you need to lose? And it's usually here where you need to lose it. In your walk. In your life. You see, it's about where your deepest need is. It's about what you love to dwell on. It's about what you like. It's about the way that you tilt your life towards. Is your life always tilted towards the things of God? Tilted towards Christ. If you say to me, oh, my Christian life is boring, I'll give you the answer to that. If your Christian life is boring... I would suggest to you that you have a few things that you need to jettison, that you need to lose from your life. Because if your Christian life is boring, there is some stuff that you've got to lose that is taking the place of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what do we have to lose in our walk with Christ? You see, it's that sense that all I desire and all I need is the dear presence of the Holy Spirit at work within my life. Now, this is the mistake we make. We grade Christianity and we say there's these kinds of people. There is non-Christians. There are normal Christians 
And there are spiritual Christians. But Paul says there are non-Christians and there are spiritual Christians. So which one are we? I call it the theology of Homer Simpson. Do you watch The Simpsons sometimes? You're loving this sermon, aren't you, Brian? Simpson, Homer Simpson. What makes a sitcom successful is that the character never learns or never changes and does the same things in a different way over and over again. Homer Simpson always eats donuts with pink on the top. He's always foolish, angry, childish, selfish. He always reacts in a certain way. He can't hold down a job very easily and he starts a great hobby but can never keep it. And along those lines, hundreds of Simpsons episodes have been built about a character that will never change. You watch Seinfeld. All of Seinfeld's friends never learn by their mistakes and come back next week and do the same mistakes again but just in a different way. The danger with our spiritual life is that we're in a spiritual sitcom. You're making the same mistakes, doing the same things, and you're never being changed by the power of God or the word of Christ. And you're not allowing the mind of Christ to transform your life. Get out of your spiritual sitcom and start to believe that this scripture is true. This is the ultimate prayer of the mind that is governed by the Spirit. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine will be done. That's the first great tilt. Lord, your will. Your will be done in my life. Your will. You are the priority. I don't want to grade Christianity and grade where I am at and grade. I just want to be at that place for me. Stop comparing everybody else and everything else and start to see that Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth that devotional life you should have. Jesus is worth those scriptures you should memorize. Jesus is worth you dealing with those battles within. Jesus is worth it. Lean and love Jesus. The great missionary Livingstone stood in the chapel at Cambridge University to give a lecture and a homily about his journeys through the dark continent, as it was called, through Africa. He'd experienced seeing people die. He had met slave traders. He had walked through swamps for hundreds of miles. He had had malaria. He had watched family die. He had experienced the hardest of times within his life. And when they introduced him at Cambridge University, he stood up and, and the way that he was introduced was a man that has sacrificed everything for the sake of the gospel. 
the great explorer. He stood up at Cambridge as the ancient saints looked down on the ancient chapel. The light came through, stainless glass windows, strong oak was present in all the pews. Grandeur. Britain at its best. Academic. Religion. And Livingston just simply said, I have sacrificed nothing. It was not a sacrifice to go through those swamps. It was not a sacrifice to feel the pain. It was not a sacrifice to battle the way that I did. It was not a sacrifice. But it was only one thing. It was a privilege to serve Jesus. A privilege to serve Christ. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to be saved. It's the mega miracle of all eternity. It's the salvation of a soul. You are privileged. We are. It's a privilege to serve Him. It's the greatest thing we can ever do. To serve Him and whereby we grab the heart of a lover of Solomon, I come to my garden, my sister, my bride. I gather my myrrh with my spice. I eat my honeycomb with my honey. And I drink my wine with my milk. Eat, O friend, and drink. Drink deeply, O lovers. Drink deeply. Of your relationship with God. Drink deeply. O lovers of God. Let him change your mind and your heart. Let him come and transform your life. So, we'll go back for a moment to Romans 8. And then I promise all the alarms can go off. And as we click back to Romans 8 at the beginning, here we go. Thank you. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires. Where is your mind and what are your desires? What do you need to repent of? What do you need to bring to the cross? What do you need to deal with? But those who live according to with the Spirit have their mind set and what the Spirit desires. Ask yourself the question this week. What does the Spirit desire of you? And you'll get an answer. I promise you. If you're bold enough to ask it. The mind governed by the flesh is death. Is death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is peace. If you live the way I'm sharing, you will have peace in your life. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. 
You know, even preaching this kind of message can annoy people. I'm nobody here. I'm sure. Because I'm saying, don't be normal, be spiritual. But it, it becomes hostile. It does not submit to God. It becomes rebellious. And we know when we're rebellious. And we know when we've got the wrong attitude. And we know when we're not doing. And we're not turning up in the way we should. And we're not being the leader in the home the way we should. And we're not manning up. And we're not saying, I've got to live this right life right. Nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot Can we even read it? It's terrifying, isn't it? It's not about your salvation. But it's about pleasing God. Pleasing God. So who wants to be a God pleaser? Yeah? Please him. Take us. I can't do this, God, but you do it. You work. You move. Multiply my walk with you. Let it grow. Let it develop, I pray, in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. Lord Jesus, as we gather before you, hallelujah, what a saviour. Thank you, Lord. And for every one of us, we desire to be men and women of the Spirit, not of what we call the flesh, not of our natural leanings and what we dwell on that can be so, so destructive for us. But we want to be people of grace, of love, of the gospel, of your power, of your anointing. We want to be men and women of the word. We want to live in intimacy that we would drink deeply from the Lord. And that we would consider all other things lost. That we would drink deeply in our journey. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, I pray. Help us, Lord, I pray, to move from the flesh to the Spirit. Help us, Lord, I ask, in Jesus' name. As we sing this song, a powerful words, amazing sense, let's celebrate all that we can have in Christ. I didn't want this to be condemnation. I want it to be that we, 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 we put our sail out and we sail and allow the Spirit to fill our sail of our life. You don't have to pedal harder. you just got to be available. It's not religion. So come, and maybe you're not a Christian. Or maybe you're so far away from God, you, you're not even a normal Christian. You're just sort of this... I once was sort of a Christian. And you think, Pastor Phil, I know you're going off to Whistler and, and that's brilliant. But I need to get right with God right now. So as we sing this, if you need to get right with God right now and you want prayer, I'm on the front row. Come and stand here next to me and I will pray for you right now so that you can get right with God. Don't leave it. Don't walk out of this place. Know that there's a better way to be, a better way to live. Let the gospel transform your life. And I'd be an honour 
to lead and pray with you for a moment right now. Let's worship together.